0: Welcome to the Writer's Showcase podcast. I'm your host today, H.M. Gooden, author of the Paranormal Coming-of-Age series, The Rise of the Light. This is an Authors on the Air Global Radio Network production. And I am joined today by Marie Powell, who is a prolific young adult and children's author. Thank you for joining me, Marie.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Heather. I'm happy to be here.
0: (laughs) Well, wonderful. I I was taking a look at everything that you've written, and I was pretty blown away. Uh, It looks like you lost count somewhere around 40, 50. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's 44,
1: I think, plus the two 44 children's books and then the two young adult books
0: yeah and I was totally obsessing over your covers there do you want to hold those up so we oh, can sure. make a beautiful they are gorgeous and these They're are your most readers. recent this one is spirit site so
1: mm-hmm. this is the first book of last of the gifted and this one is the new one newer one I guess uh water site They're and just gorgeous a the theme going on with the site and the i in the middle
0: yeah. <laughs> Diamond. yeah and they are beautiful and they are set in the 1100s 1200s? 13th century so 1280 1283
1: 1284 one is one is starts in 1282 and goes into 1283 and the other one goes from the from about the middle of 1283 to the end of 1283 and then from there um the next group that I'm working on goes into the 1284 which is the the pivotal years in Wales in the 13th century when they lost their independence and lost their use of their language lost their culture uh, or free ability to use their independent uh, ability to use their culture and language and law yeah so
0: yeah and and what inspired you I mean that's that's not really an um... a a time in a country that I've read a lot about in the fantasy world. I mean, we always have all of these sort of medieval Celtic, etc. But this is a little bit different. Yeah, it's true. Wales. um, It's the country
1: that my grandfather came from and possibly other. uh, I think there was Welsh in my other grandparents as well. But um, but my grandfather, um, my dad's father was Mm -hmm. actually a Welsh speaker from Wales. And he, they, I had, when I was a kid, I'm the youngest in my family. And by the time I was born, my grandparents were all dead. Mm-hmm. So I got a little obsessive about them because everybody always talked about, you know, these people that I had never met and could never meet because they were gone, right? Yeah. So um, my grandfather was just, I just kind of always wanted to know more about whales, And my dad was the one that read to me at night and told me stor- weird stories and stuff at night. So, <laughs> So that was, you know, uh, I just, I guess, started to, quiz him about it. And then he also died young. So oh. I, um, I don't know, it just became a thing for me, I wanted to know more and more about the Welsh and Wales and so on. And it's not easy. Um, it isn't. Oh. like there's, there's a lot, Scotland and a lot about Ireland, you know, but not much about Wales itself. And people tend to think of it as a piece of England. But it wasn't always it is it yeah. has been for, you know, 800 years, right. And mm-hmm. it's right in the corner of England. So it's kind of hard to get away from them, I guess. But um, yeah. But at the same time, it was at, at one time a very independent country with its own system of law and language and so on. So my it turned out, as I found out when I got older, my grandfather was actually a Welsh speaker, which is yeah. uh, at the time in the 19, uh, 1916, when he wrote that on the census, it would have been kind of a um, Unusual. radical act because you it really was yeah. an outlawed language. for Kind of you know, like Gaelic in well, Scotland. Yeah, even yeah. worse because the the welsh were uh, you know because they were so close to the english and because the english spent so much time kind of subjugating the welsh <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it was really uh a language that people kept very underground mm-hmm. so for him to have written that on the census i thought was a, a bold act and Did he uh, write it and then move immediately uh, in, he was in canada and okay. a census taker and uh, i guess wrote down that and i think he had a thick accent because everybody's name is spelled weirdly so um, either oh, yes. this was a sloppy census taker, or he, he actually couldn't understand what my grandfather was saying in English, uh, which possibly was the case at the time. Um, anyway, so that got me interested. And eventually I arranged to uh, take a couple of trips to Wales. Excellent. And while I was there, I um, discovered things that I didn't realize. Like I didn't, uh, you hear about Welsh castles like mm-hmm. Conwy and Bomaris and, you know, all these things. Well, they're not Welsh castles, they're English castles, and they, they were created were by Welsh the Welsh, yeah. Yes, yeah. their whole purpose of them was to subjugate the Welsh, and they're very, um, well, not really touristy, uh, maybe, but, but more, you know, like there's guides there, you can get guided tours and things like that. Um, and then I found out that there were actual, like there are f- uh, like between four and 500 castles in Wales. There's mm-hmm. only 13 of these great big ones, you know, that Edward created. The rest of them are ruins and little mounds, you know, on the hill and just known locations. And so for 800 years, they were just places that people kept in the popular imagination Mm -hmm. on the map. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. because they weren't really allowed to refer to them anymore. And the house of Aberfra itself was brought down completely in 1282. Edward made very, very sure that they would never have any Um, he basically got rid of a lot of them and the ones that he was related to uh, by previous marriages and family and whatnot, he uh, kept alive, but he kept them in monasteries and convents so they couldn't have any children. So that was the end of the line, right? He deliberately ended the line of Aberfra. And um, so that was kind of interesting. And then I, I, we were staying on, we rented a Welsh sheep farm, like a a cottage (laughs) on, on a working sheep farm, which was very cool. It was an interesting week, and wow. I learned a lot. Um, and Did you understand any of it? <laughs> well, they speak, you know, I mean, he, the farmer spoke uh, very good English, actually, and yeah. so did his family. Although his kids were going to school in Welsh, because it is this Welsh. Is fascinating. Yeah. 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 Rights to their language back in the 1900s. So, or, uh, pardon me, 1990s. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so that was really cool for us being there and mm. um, seeing, you know, how it was kind of like quebec where you have on the sign big welsh letters little tiny english letters you know well, <laughs> and on, and,
0: okay. and i probably about 20 years ago early 2000s so yeah i guess 20 years my brother and i went uh and we wanted to go to snowdonia cuz like yes. you know it just it's one of those like magical places and as people <laughs> that write magic like you got to go there yeah. and I was like, can we buy a vowel on some of these signs? <laughs> I know, I know. Like, it's like, How do you say that? And it, and I'm, that like, I'm like, it's...
1: <laughs> yeah, The second time we went there, um, I actually went deliberately, uh, took a Welsh class, oh, which was really cool. <laughs> I'm now a Welsh speaker, and I can say a few things properly, and the rest of it, I'm faking it, but... <laughs>
0: uh I I you know I I can really understand why you'd want to do like learn Welsh if your grandfather had spoken it I my grandmother refused to learn Gaelic but both of her parents spoke it in the house growing up in rural Manitoba and she thought it was like this old dead language and she didn't want to learn it and I was so mad at her when I was a little kid because I loved spending time with her and learning about all of these things and she Told me that she had refused to learn it yeah well, I I mean
1: a lot of pressure right at that Mm. at that time like I say I feel like uh, my for my grandfather to to tell someone he was a Welsh first speaker like his first language was Welsh was a pretty radical thing to do so yeah I had to learn some of it Mm. and um and now I mean you have to be able to speak welsh actually to get a government job in wales and your kids okay. go to school in welsh and so on so so that was a big revelation and we went because we were staying very near to a welsh castle castle of the welsh princes dull with ellen we mm-hmm. decided we'd go there and see what that was like and it was like radically different right because there was nobody around anywhere um it was completely wild you know uh, there were these signs right with guys falling off of rocks and things yes and, i love those you know, signs. Like, like, it's
0: like, enter at your own risk, right? <laughs> you know? I, I think that so, they should have those signs on everything. <laughs> well, like, see, Not my problem. You're going to fall off a cliff. That's just because you don't deserve to be here. I don't
1: know. Especially <laughs> when there's nobody there to pick you up. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, you, you're you down, you're out. Yeah. But, um, and we went in and like, we're, what we saw was the history of whales on the placards, kind of like posters, you know, around mm. the castle. And we were reading them and kind of going, wow, this is, you know, like they... Um, in 1282, they lost the ability to speak their own language. They were not allowed to stay in town overnight. Things that that I had heard here, um, like the, the road allowance people um, yeah. being treated that way in Regina here up to the 1960s and so on. And just kind of the, the I don't know, realizing that it went on into 1200s. Yeah. It was, it was, I was already really fascinated by the old, you know what I mean? Mm. Having things there that were structures, you know, where people obviously were living and working and so on, but from the, from the, yeah. um, in front of the, the cast, the cabin that we were renting, there was a kind of an old stone thing. And I said to the farmer one day, you know, like, what, like, what exactly is that? Cause it's cool. But what, you know, True. what could it have been? And he said, oh, that was, uh, that was the farm area in uh, 1100 you know, and I'm like,
0: mm-hmm. like, and it's still there, that is so cool, you know, anyway, just there, so there a was a lot of sense time. of history when you go to these places, because, you know, it's all ruins, but imagining that, like, a thousand years ago, that was new, and people lived there, and it was so- a going
1: concern, like, it was a little yeah. rural town, you know, like, yeah. basically, uh, these, these areas where the Welsh lived were very rural, you know, but there were maybe um, like all of the aspects of a town would have been kind of contained in within the police or the royal court, where they were living, to, you know, with a particular member of that Aberfraw family or whatever. So it was, I don't know, it was just really a revelation, you know, in a way, and okay. thinking about that, and I, it kind of caught my imagination, we, we went up onto the wall walk in that castle, and we were walking around looking at this lovely countryside, mm-hmm. and just thinking, you know, what would it have been like to be here then and lose all that, you know, like, what would it have been like to have that and then lose it. And that's where this story kind of began for
0: me. And because I'm
1: a fantasy writer, of course, my yes. characters have magical abilities right
0: (laughs) I mean I tried to write before magic and um I just kept getting three chapters in and then they had magic powers I'm like well you can't sell this you can't write this and and so 20 years ago it just wasn't the same you had your high fantasy you had your other genres but but this kind of people just having these abilities, this paranormal magical realism, and then and that's history. very Welsh,
1: you know, like, if you yeah. like having, um, like I say, when I was a kid looking at things that were Welsh and trying to get things that were, it was all kind of like that. Yeah, there's um, fairies mere, everywhere, like weird powers, like some guy would have the ability to flip his lip up over his head. Well, Can everybody do that? Like, he probably he had <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And then another fellow, like if you happen to want to cross the stream and it was like, you know, torrential rains this spring, um, he just jumped down and drank the water for you so that you could go and get your horses. Oh, he sounds like bonbon tarar <laughs> across the river. You know, he's just like it, yeah, just know, whatever they, these Beautiful. these people have people have powers and they use them and they needed and them. They, you know I mean? so, they were useful every so day kind of Welsh powers. Tale. Yeah. yeah, yeah, You know, like powers that you need. Like right? yeah. so, my powers my two my two Welsh siblings. One of them can connect with animals and birds and control their minds and use them, and the other one can see the future in a drop of water, which is you know, much in the myth, right? That is how, how um, Morgan Le Fay apparently was able to Yeah, so like
0: scrying, but just in a raindrop instead of like in a pool of water. Exactly. Well, a pool, with pool is even better. (laughs) You
1: just get more. Yeah. Plus, I I had a a friend who had studied in, or not a friend, but she was a a contact that I knew, Mm -hmm. made while I was doing my research and she told me this great story about being a um, a student in Wales and going out to the pub and one of the Welsh students saying "Ah." Let's write an England by the time that, like an England is a specific kind of poem with a specific meter, and uh, Robertson Davies wrote them. Anyway, let's write an England by the time that raindrop gets to the bottom of the rain sill, r- uh, the, the windowsill, and then just boom doing it, right? Out yeah. comes the poem, you know?
0: <laughs> it's like, okay. Well, and so when I think of the Welsh and like the history of the Welsh people, you do think of those like the bard and the storyteller and you know well and and
1: actually all the warriors did
0: Mm -hmm. to be a welsh warrior you were sort of expected
1: to be able to carry a tune and and do a few poems at the end of the day but if you wanted to be a bard you had to be able to do 24 different meters of poetry and you know there is a it's theoretically at least according to one story you know this hill behind me is um, Castafiberi on Caedir K- Idris, Idris Mountain. And okay. um, it's the mountain of the giant, seed uh, seat of the giant Idris. And if you really wanted to be a bard, you were supposed to spend um, overnight on this mountain. And if you didn't go crazy, you either became a bard or you went crazy by morning. Either uh, would this. be excellent <laughs> option. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just to say you did it. Yeah, well, there's that. But if you want to be a bard, you know, and it's it is a it is a very creepy um, it, it it's noisy for whatever reason, <laughs> this mountain. So did you so, spend the night yeah. there? We we spent the night several nights at Dol Gethli, yeah. which is some town near uh Cater Idris Mountain. And we did go up Cater Idris yeah. to see this particular Castelibere um uh, castle ruin. Are you uh, are you prepared. allowed to sleep there? I have no, I don't think it, well, there's no one there to stop you. So go ahead. <laughs> you know I mean? well, I'm it's just like going to write
0: that on my list of things <laughs> to do next. Just right
1: in the site of, of Castelibere. why not, right? Castelibere. I'm not saying that yeah. right. But I well, it. and it's Cindy-Bere. funny
0: because yesterday my brother actually sent me, I don't know, a Facebook thing, but it was, you can buy a place along the River Tay in Scotland that's mm. haunted, and I'm like, can we buy that? I am not joking because I would do that because that's where our ancestors are from. And I was like, okay, okay. that sounds You're like <laughs> you know, 125,000 euros. You could buy that. I'll pay you in installments, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, yeah. And how
1: much is that in Canadian money, right?
0: <laughs> well, mind. if I can just pay installments back to him, that's fine. <laughs> it's like, I don't have that money, but I'll pay you back. Yeah
1: it be a few years, I think. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's okay. That's okay.
1: Uh, yeah, it's true. The, I mean, I yeah, I thought of the same thing. There's some places in uh, in yeah. Anglesey that uh, that would be quite nice, and they're up for sale occasionally, too. But And the occasional castle, which I stick on my Facebook looks <laughs> like Buy this castle. It's there. It's cool.
0: And, you know, the price <laughs> of buying it, it wouldn't even be that bad. It, you know, even sometimes in Canadian dollars, which is saying something, but the cost of fixing them up to be habitable yeah (laughs) that's the problem yeah
1: i mean this this there you would have to take your own tent to sleep there there isn't even a really a structure with a with a roof on it anywhere you know you could just
0: rent one of those little buses that everybody has yeah sleep in there
1: yeah you probably could that's true
0: yeah so how long between visiting this creepy bard making mountainside and writing your books
1: well it was all mixed in like I um I started the first book just after we came back the first time okay and um you know that would have been what 2006 in there somewhere okay so about 15 years altogether with the two books um I went back to uh UBC during Mm -hmm. that time period At some point when I was writing the first book, I got to the point where I thought, you know, I'm not a good enough writer to do this right now. So I decided I had to go back and get an MFA in creative writing. So I was lucky to get into UBC and I went there, took my uh, MFA and this, I took children's writing. Well, at UBC, you take, you have to take three uh, genres. You can't just take one. So children's writing was my main one. And this was my thesis project at UBC, the first book.
0: And so, so did um, you find so, that gave you the, I don't know, the the confidence or the skills that you needed to write this? Because this sounds like a very epic sweeping kind of fantasy, like, yeah. you know, and it's like
1: I wanted a certain um, authenticity, like I wanted to try really hard. It, I didn't want to, you know, you could write fantasy and create a world that was similar to Wales in the 1300s and not have to deal with all that, right? Mm-hmm. But what I wanted was um, was the real 13th century feel to it. Um, I wanted to be, I wanted it to be set in the historical time because I guess. I realized that it wasn't a well-known period of time, mm-hmm. and as I got into the research, I realized how little there was. Like yeah. a lot of records were deliberately destroyed. So unlike like when when Edward invaded Scotland, there's a lot of records from that. When Edward took over, like completely demolished Wales, um, there are no records. You know, like he deliberately burned records. He took he took monastery. There was a monastery near um, Garth Kellen mm-hmm. that and uh, the last had actually um, funded, I guess, or built or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and Edward had it taken down stone by stone, moved seven kilometers, seven miles down the road, and built up again into a new one. Why? So, I mean, he literally got rid of like there were 22 police royal court areas in northern Wales, and they can only find evidence of one. Like he really, he, Edward I, really deliberately um, ended the independence of Wales. He he was very deliberate, and he took a few years Sounds doing it. Sounds very personal. And, um,
0: yeah, it was. And if it wasn't, it was. It sure feels like it. <laughs> because, um, I mean, we've heard of the more, like, the Scottish side of that story is probably better known. Very well known, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and there are some records to prove it with.
1: But there isn't much to say what he did or didn't do with the Welsh. And um, some of what he did, like, you know, we don't like to believe how bad it was, you know, kind of thing. Like how, yeah. Um, there were some, let's just say he was honing his technique, and that technique was used um, to subjugate a lot of other peoples, yeah. I think, for yeah. the next 800 would... years, because it proven to work on one of the fiercest and probably most independent groups of people, because um, they held off the English for, you know, a couple of hundred years on the border, right on the borderlands. Mm-hmm. um you know getting any territory losing territory but never giving up mm-hmm. and uh what what edward the first did was um this he he i mean his proclamation in 1283 was that he had exterminated the welsh yeah sick. <laughs> like, that yeah. that's what he had his guys say out loud you know what i mean so i mean it was it was pretty um terminal <laughs> yeah and so i wanted that i i want i didn't want to write about something that was like that. I wanted to try and bring as much as... I wanted to be there. Yeah, I wanted to really get the feel for what we had lost because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of writing from the 1100s and a bit from the 1200s, but there's not a lot from the later 1300s. And this particular leader, Llewellyn the Last, who actually pulled, he's the only, first and only uh, Welsh leader who actually pulled all of the areas of Wales together for about the period of 15 years Um, um, as a unified country, first time in its history, last time in its history, and um, very little known about him, you know, very little said about him. And what was said was in relation to Edward, like as an enemy of Edward, you know, never like who this guy really was on his own. And then once the Welsh got the right to use their own language back and they began to research, there's a lot of archaeological things going on in Wales, even right now, you know. Yeah. And as I was doing the research, there was more and more coming out all the time. So uh, I got more and more into wanting it to be there in yeah. real time, you know, like the real time of 1282. And I mean, sounds- try and say, how do you survive that? You know, what really happened and how did they survive and so it's a little, well, I mean, it's speculative fiction, right? Because I don't have any real way to prove a lot of the... Well, that's where that, the fantasy comes in. Yeah. But also I wanted I wanted to play the fantasy off against what, what might have really been happening, you know? Yeah. So that, um,
0: yeah, so that... More historical not, magical realism.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's not like they can win. You yeah. know, that's the problem when you're writing, like I'm writing a war from the losing side. <sighs> And like you know, how do you write something that
0: yeah, it's yeah, not it's, it's not the traditional epic formula, I guess. You and you say. don't want it to be completely depressing, but if you want to stay true to the time, there yeah. isn't a great way out. At least yeah. not for that way of life. The culture, but at the same but,
1: time, there is that resilience, you know, you can yeah. point to 800 years later, when they got the right to speak Welsh again, it was the Welsh that was being spoken in the 1200s. They were not, it didn't change and grow and, and evolve the way Gaelic did over time, because they were still kind of using it, you know, in, trade. And because in Welsh, it was, it was hidden, very hidden. And so when it came back, it came back lock, stock and barrel, the way it was spoken in the 1200s. And then had to evolve from there. So there was that to play with as well. Whatever they, however they survived it, um, that's the story. You know what I mean? Like, how do you get, so the magic
0: is getting through it really. Yeah. Well, and you know, maybe that's why I always think of the Welsh as these people that have such an oral history and it's because they didn't have the option of mm-hmm. having those written documents and perhaps they that had. is I mean they had written documents before but were- hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly- but like yeah. from that period of time onward the only way that they could keep their traditions and their history was to very carefully pass that on orally yeah I think that's true. Even
1: in studies, even in uh, scholarship in the 1900s, you get that feeling reading some of the old books that you get to a certain point and then you're not really allowed to talk about anymore. You know, like so they just skirt Um, even uh, the big history of the, the sort of seminal, you know, history of Wales, which is called the history of Wales by John Davies. Um, he gets to 1282, and he says, "Yeah, you know, in about three paragraphs, something like, you know, there's a really a, not a lot of evidence here. A lot of it is contradictory. It can't tell you much, so I'm not going to tell you anything. So we're leaping ahead, next chapter to the 1300s. Ooh. You know, and he just basically skirts 30 years of Welsh history because um, it's either too controversial to think about what might have happened." Mm-hmm. And, um, there's that, I get that flavor also from, uh, Sharon K. Penman when she, in her historical notes as she's writing the brothers of Gwyneth and, uh, pardon me, the, um, her, her books about this time period and about yeah. Ellen, um, and she's saying, you know, there were things that she didn't deal with because she was afraid of being sued you know things like who that. By so who, by I guess the English government. I, well, the in, the remaining English families that might have been involved or might not have been involved in. You know, so there was a lot of speculation, right?
0: I just and, find and it so that- fascinating. I don't think it really matters which country you go to. That even things from a thousand years ago, are still, so. Like hotly contested by the you know the winners versus the losers and I just I just always think it's quite fascinating that the people that are in that dominant spot are so sensitive about what happened it's like well you know, if it, if it...
1: have huge histories, you know, like that's the yeah. thing we don't really have here either. And even the Welsh at that time, like the Welsh could, um, and Llewellyn the Last was known for mm-hmm. being able to trace his lineage back to Troy, because yeah. that's where they felt they had come from, right? Was yeah. the um, those who had escaped from the sack of Troy. Uh, which is I, again it's something I didn't even know you know like I I assumed like the Greeks that Tro- the Trojans were done for once the Greeks were finished with them well there's always survivors right
0: that's well thing. I mean my dad still says that you know we went to Scotland with William I'm like who you know 1066 I'm like oh yeah come on. and we weren't allowed to watch Braveheart because that wasn't how it happened like <laughs> so and yeah, I mean it's very personal Personal histories, right? It's all—it's it, not personal
1: well, histories, but it becomes... It, it is, personal and it's individual. funny because
0: my dad was born in Canada and so was his mother. I feel like his dad might've been born in Scotland, but I mean, that was in the 1850s or 60s. And it's just like, how do you know what Braveheart... I mean, obviously Braveheart is not factually correct, but the fact that people are still arguing such such a strong part of that personal mythology and that individual identity that I mean it's it's fascinating but it's also no wonder that it is so difficult to talk about
1: yeah yeah you know so yeah and that's part of what I wanted to do too is kind of bring all this research out and uh, so there's a whole section in the back of the book of further mm. reading, right? Because I think that's fascinating. To look, you know, look yeah. for yourself and see what what you can find, because there's still so much there to find. We think we know everything. We think we know what they
0: were like, and we oh, know what we're here. just scratching the surface.
1: Plus, they yeah. were very bilingual. They were very, you know, it was yeah, it's just all kinds of things that I hear people say about medieval times now, and I'm like, but that's not true. <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, it's like you know, how do I know, right? I know where I would go, though, if there was a, as soon as the time machine is invented, yeah. I know where I'm headed.
0: <laughs> You're going to figure out what actually happened from a safe distance. Probably, yeah, if there's something <laughs> going to go in a bubble, you know, like, so I
1: can watch without
0: being killed myself. Oh. Good. Well, I, I mean, this, this is so fascinating. I love history. Um, I, one of my degrees is, is a minor in history and Ooh. I, I don't know much about Wales, because like you said, it's, there's not much there from such a rich culture, because it was deliberately suppressed.
1: Yeah, and we have no idea how much they might have changed in that 100 years either. So, but that was, you know, like, what I was trying to do, I guess, um, is show a little bit about what was lost. So show a little bit of that culture before this happened, and then take it through the end and how they got through it you know and what I'm doing now is trying to see if I can figure out how the next year went because there were I know a lot about what Edward the first did and I know there's I've been already reading through, reading between the lines of what what's been said to try and figure out what the Welsh were how the welsh were responding because there's no record of that right and uh, my characters then can do some of that for me you know and help me bring out how they responded to edward's thumb being placed on on their entire culture for a year as he tried to tramp it all out and and, um, you know subjugate them essentially well
0: Uh, and and i mean you can see clearly based on the fact that 800 years later it's the national language again yeah that it was did only it a temporary setback yeah well it that <laughs> no, they figured out they figured out a workaround shall we say and <laughs> yeah. and I think what I have seen is the rockier and more beautiful the landscape the harder it is to truly ever keep people down yeah and um, that certainly seems to be quite clear when you look at whales now and and it sounds very much like you've looked at that through your books and and yeah
1: tried you know like it's one take on it right who knows but um, but It's, it's a fascinating time period and I really enjoyed kind of digging in to find out what I could find out and I love the idea of all the gaps in a way because then I can fill them in in different ways. And that's where the magic comes in too. You know, it's helping me to fill in some of the gaps. Figuratively
0: and literally speaking. (laughs) Well, that's fantastic. And so when... It, are you doing another book in the series you mentioned 1284 a few times or is I heard a- it you know yeah because i thought it was a trilogy initially
1: and now um having gotten to the a lot of reaction now at the first two people are saying yeah it feels kind of good though it feels like you know like you took you had an arc and it's kind of and like I, a duology
0: between the brother and so the, I'm thinking sister it's the, the, the
1: duology yeah and then this like and plus i want to bring in a couple of other point of view points of view in the
0: new book so, so, I, think so yeah, I think it's actually a series yeah
1: really perhaps the next true.
0: one will be a, another duology
1: or well I'm I'm pretty sure it's three it <laughs> okay might
0: be so that'll ones. be a trilogy It's <laughs> so sure. hard. our books tell us what they want to be I know I I started with the trilogy and then I didn't want to say goodbye so then I wrote five more for yeah. each of their perspective yeah. so
1: that's what's happening it's like Plus you, you start and you think, oh yeah, this is the story. And then you realize that that if you were to, that's like a thousand page story, <laughs> so, yes. you know, like you can't just, so yeah, that's the story, but you're going to have to break it up. Right. And things happen along the way to that change the course of things, you know,
0: so you want to bring that
1: in some way so that makes Well, sense.
0: I cannot wait to read those two that are out. And I am definitely looking forward to seeing where you take that world, I guess, because we don't know what it's going to be, whether it'll be a series or trilogy or,
1: you know, no. a collection
0: of duologies. Um, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what happens next. Where can people find you? Um, best place is my website,
1: which is Marie Powell, like my name there, mariepowell.ca, right? Uh, okay. .ca for the, can- the Canadian website. So mariepowell.ca. Yeah best place to find me i think and anything about the books there's a page about um these books you know based on uh, my young adult books and there's mm-hmm. my other books are on there as well and um i have also a facebook page so there's a facebook site for last of the gifted which okay. is the series and there's also uh, my author page on facebook anybody be welcome to join and to and i have a mailing list but you can Excellent. get that either from the facebook or the um, website you can join and that's them. where
0: you would keep people up to date on, on right. once yeah. a month
1: i try and send something out to let people know what's up and to give a little bit of i don't know a little bit of research a little bit of other books that are interesting in the fantasy world you know things like that so yeah well,
0: that sounds fantastic well thank you so much for joining me on mm-hmm. this canadian <laughs> edition <laughs> of the writer showcase podcast And definitely looking forward to finding out what happens in the magical, realistic, historical Wales.
1: Great. Thank you, Heather.
0: Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for joining us on another episode of the Writer's Showcase podcast. Copyrighted by the Authors on the Air Global Network.